Well, good morning to all of you watching online or through the app. It's our privilege for you guys to join us uh, today. Uh, and if you ever need us, make sure that you uh, either send us an email, pick up the phone or call us. Or if you happen to be in the neighborhood, just stop in uh, and let us know uh, how we can be a church to you. Uh, well, I'm Carlos, and uh, it's been a few weeks since I've been here. And apparently, someone's been pretty busy these past few weeks. Acronyms at my expense. And for anyone who actually thought that that was a real picture of me, that was Photoshopped. However, yes, I did take a belly dancing class in college. So there you go. I was forced. It was one class. That was it. And no, I'm not demonstrating. <laughs> anyway, but here's the deal. I'm here today, and Charles is in Quakertown, preaching over there in Quakertown today. This is great, because he's not here. This is a great opportunity for me to share with all of you some wonderful facts that I know of Charles, right? Except today I have to preach on forgiveness, so, <laughs> so there we go. Because we're in the middle of a series we're calling Ready, Set, and then you kind of want to finish the statement. There's like this awkward pause, and that's intentional. We did that on purpose uh, because we want to kind of leave that feeling of expectation. Like we know that something's going to come next, and we kind of want that to happen, but we're kind of stuck right here and just kind of in the waiting period. And what we want to do is we want to enter into a season of just waiting, as we wait with hearts that are preparing and expecting God to do what's next for Calvary Church. And what we wanted to do in this season was to lay a foundation of prayer. And so as a church, collectively, uh, we had a challenge to pray for 30 days, and we gave you those prayer cards. And we've done this series on prayer where we've taken a look at what prayer is, different kinds of prayer, examples of prayer in the Bible. And last week, if you were here... Charles talked about four dangerous prayers, four risky prayers to pray. And if you haven't listened to his message, if you weren't here last week or whatever, make sure you go onto the app or online on our website and listen to, those to that message because it was something that you really need to hear. And the dangerous prayers that he was talking about last week were, search me, forgive me, change me, send me. Search me, forgive me, change me, send me. And today we're going to look at a story. We're going to look at someone who had to go through that process. Now, while we don't see in the Bible an account of him actually saying those words, his life is evidence of someone who actually went through that. Lord, search me, forgive me, change me, then send me. And then this person ends up praying a prayer in the story that we're going to look at. And this prayer, I feel, is probably one of the most difficult prayers to pray. In fact, I feel like this prayer is probably one of the most costly, most painful, most difficult prayers to pray. We're going to shift gears a little bit today, and we're going to move from the prayer of forgive me to another prayer of forgiveness. We're going to look at Stephen and Stephen's prayer of forgiveness. Now, Stephen is a man found in the book of Acts. And if you're new to the Bible or you're new to church and you don't have not really read it much or whatever, Acts is an awesome book. Actually, it's one of my favorite books. Acts is a, a book that details the account 
of Jesus's followers as they start the church. Jesus goes up into heaven and he leaves his followers here to continue the mission that Jesus started. And this book is filled with amazing stories and these miraculous events. But one of the things that I love about the book of Acts is that it's also filled with just reminders that they were people. In fact, we read about them disagreeing and arguing at, a, at a certain points in the book. And we read about how they learn and they, they're figuring things out. They're figuring this church out. And one of the stories that I find really interesting is there's a point in time where the apostles, the, the, the leaders of the church, get together and they start to have a conversation. And they're the ones who were, who were teaching the gospel, the good news of Jesus. And they're, they're going out and teaching this and, and spreading those news. But they were also taking care of the widows and taking care of the poor and feeding those who needed to be fed. And they're like, we can't do it all. And recognizing their limitations that one person couldn't do everything, they formed a team. And this team was called deacons. And the deacons began to care for others. They began to care for the widows and feed those who needed to be fed. And when they did that, when they recognized their limitations and when they formed this group of deacons, the chapter in, that, in the Bible of Acts, in the, in the book of Acts, says that the gospel exploded. It just went through Jerusalem. Of when people realized their limitations and actually reached out for help and realized that this was supposed to be done, this continuing what Jesus, was supposed, uh, what Jesus started is supposed to be done as a group, as a team, as one body but with different parts. When they did that, the gospel exploded. And what's interesting is at the end of that story, there's this kind of like throw-in line. There's this kind of throw-in sentence and it says that many of the priests came to follow Jesus. And what we need to understand is that these were Jewish priests. These were religious leaders. This was a group that had been against Jesus, who would have identified as enemies of Jesus. This group, many of the priests, decide to follow Jesus and join the church. And it's kind of thrown out at the end, and you kind of get this like happy story, but then the reality is, is that the religious leaders respond. And one of the ways that they respond is that they arrest Stephen and they take Stephen, they put him before the religious council and they begin to accuse him and they begin to say all of these false accusations and, and all these things towards Stephen. And Stephen's reply, his defense is to preach a sermon. And as he preaches this sermon, Stephen, who is one of those deacons, Stephen begins to talk about the story of the Bible. And he goes from the beginning and he begins to talk about how all of this stuff from beginning up until now, all of it points to Jesus. The whole point of the story is pointing to Jesus. And he gets to the point that he's explained all of this stuff. He's finished his message and he looks up and he has this vision. And as he sees this vision, he sees Jesus standing there with God the Father. And he begins to, to talk about what he sees. And everything goes nuts. And so that's where we're going to be reading today. We're going to be looking at Acts chapter 7, starting at verse 57. If you have a Bible, you can turn there. If you don't, you can read up on the screens. You can take your phone or your tablet app out and go to the Bible app. Or if you don't own a Bible, take one of the Bibles that we have here at Calvary in the seat racks. Take it home. It's our gift to you. We believe that the Bible is the Word of God, and we believe that it's filled with life-changing truth. And so if you don't have one, we want you to have it. So we're going to be looking at Acts chapter 7, verse 57. He's just detailed this vision that he's seeing, and, and this is the religious leader's response. 
At this, they covered their ears and yelling at the top of their voices, they all rushed at him, dragged him out of the city and began to stone him. Meanwhile, the witnesses laid their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul. While they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he fell on his knees and cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. When he had said this, he fell asleep. And Saul approved of their killing him. On that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him. But Saul began to destroy the church, going from house to house. He dragged off both men and women and put them in prison. This story is intense. And this story is real. It really happened. And there was very real pain, very real hurt in this moment. And as we read about that, as we read this story, Stephen prays this prayer of forgiveness. And I think what we need to do is we need to look at that prayer and peel apart the layers of it in order to understand its depth and its intensity. And the first thing that we need to understand is this. We need to understand the concept of resubordination. Resubordination. All right, here's the deal. Resubordination is not a theological term. It is not a biblical term. It is a banking term. Okay? It's a financial term. It's a term that is about mortgages. So if you ever had a mortgage and you refinance and you happen to have a home equity loan, you would have had to go through the process of resubordination. I need to tell you guys something about this concept. When I first started to think about resubordination and how it related to this passage, I was like, oh, this is great. You know, like, this makes sense. Let me talk about it. And so then I went to talk to my wife, and I was like, resubordination. I started talking to her, and she smiled at me politely. <laughs> and she was like, yeah, I don't get it. And so then I was like, I tweaked it a little bit, and then I, and I preached this sermon before in Quakertown, and I explained it to everyone in Quakertown, the concept of resubordination. Yeah, they didn't get it either. So this is my third attempt at resubordination, guys. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to talk about resubordination. When you have a mortgage and you want to refinance, if you happen to have a home equity loan or a second mortgage, whatever you want to call it, you either have to pay off that home equity loan or you have to go through what's called resubordination. Here's what that is in a nutshell. Resubordination is one bank saying to another bank, the debt that is owed to you is greater than the debt that is owed to me. Your right to payment is greater than my right to payment. That's all resubordination is. It is a bank agreeing to say to the following, one bank saying to the other bank, the debt that is owed to you is greater than the debt that is owed to me. And your right to payment is greater than my right to payment. And that is exactly the heart that Stephen had when he prayed this prayer. Stephen isn't saying, I forgive you. In fact, what he's doing is submitting to God's authority and understands that the wrong that is occurring to God 
is in fact actually greater than the wrong that is occurring to Stephen in that moment. He is saying the debt that is owed to you, God, is greater than the debt that is owed to me, and your right to this payment is greater than my right. He is recognizing the authority of who actually has the authority for forgiveness at that moment. And so he prays, Father, do not hold this sin against them. Forgive them. And he does it with his final breath. He does it as the stones are still hitting him. His last words are a prayer of forgiveness. This is huge. This is an intense. How does he get to that point? How does he get to that point of resubordination where he acknowledges that God, your right to payment is greater than my right to payment? The wrong that is occurring to you is greater than the wrong that's occurring to me. The debt that is owed to you is greater than the debt that is owed to me. You have final authority on forgiveness. How does he get to that point? He gets to that point by refocusing his heart and looking straight at Jesus. Look at the moment before. Stephen is staring straight at Jesus. He's staring straight at Jesus. Everything else is going on, and he's staring straight at Jesus. In order to get to the point where our hearts can have a heart of resubordination, we need to get to the point where the only voice we are focusing on is the voice of Jesus. A couple of <clears throat> weeks ago, we had a planning retreat meeting uh, with the Connections Department. And the Connections Department uh, is simply as it sounds. It's the department that tries to help provide opportunities for you to get connected here at Calvary Church. So that might be through section leaders, that might be through home groups, adult Bible fellowships, might be through our care team, it might be through various uh, ministries and options. And so the staff members who are on that department, we had a meeting. Now, one of the team members for that department, Melissa Lawler, uh, she's awesome. <coughs> she did a training exercise for me for our team. So we walk into this room up in the kids wing up there. It's called the FX Factory. We walk into this room. And scattered across the floor are a bunch of pieces of paper. And scattered across the floor are a bunch of buckets. And then she had taken, I think about 100 or more, mini soccer balls and threw them across the floor. And so here's what she said. Here's the task I have for you. I need you to start on one side of the room and go to the other side of the room and pick up as many soccer balls as possible without bumping into buckets or touching the pieces of paper. It's not too bad, right? It's not so bad. Then she said, I need you to do it blindfolded. I wasn't digging that. And she's, what she did is she divided us into two teams. One group was going to stand on one side, and they would be blindfolded, and they would have to listen to the other group who was going to shout out directions for them to come walking across the room. Guess which group I wanted to be in. I don't want to listen to people. I want to tell people how to do things. Guess which group she put me in? I had to listen to people. Not only did I have to listen to people, for those of you who know Emery Ashton, that's who I had to listen to. <laughs> Emery's great. But at that moment, that's not what I wanted to do. You need to know something about me also. I have a hard time paying attention. When I go on a date with my wife, I'm listening I just happened to be listening to five other conversations at the same time. <laughs> I have a hard time focusing. 
So here's what happened. We go on one side, and here's the key. Everyone was going to go at the same time. So everyone's shouting directions at the same time. I go, I put my blindfold on, I can't see anything. First thing that happens, everyone starts shouting directions. I listen to Emery, but I start listening to everybody else too. And I start to plan on my thing. I was like, well, if they're saying that, this must be what's going on. I'm listening to Melissa. And then not only do I listen to voices going on, I start to tell Emery how he should tell me to get across. I can't see a thing. He can actually see where I need to walk. He can actually see where I need to go. But I'm telling him what he should be telling me. Needless to say, I came in last place. <laughs> it was bad. It was really bad. She gives us a second try because she's a nice person. I go on the other side. I'm like, okay, I'm just going to focus on Emery. Focus on Emery. Just keep your mouth shut, Carlos. Keep your mouth shut. And I focused on Emery. I tried to tune out all of the other voices. I tried to tune out my own voice. By the time I got across, I basically tripled the amount of soccer balls that I picked up. And here's the deal. Oftentimes, when someone wrongs me, I begin to listen to my own voice. I begin to listen to the voices of those around me, even if they're well-meaning. And the last voice that I listen to is the one who actually knows the direction that I'm heading. Oftentimes, the last voice that I listen to is the one who actually can see the steps that I need to take. In order to get to this heart of resubordination, we have to refocus our hearts and look at Jesus and listen to the one who knows where you're headed. We need to refocus. Stephen was in a horrific situation. He was the object of wrath when he was innocent. He's brutally killed when he had done nothing wrong. And in the midst of agonizing pain, in the midst of the words of scorn directed at him, in the midst of all of this chaos, he asked God to forgive those who are harming him. But then again, his eyes were focused on someone who did just that. In fact, his eyes were focused on someone who in Luke chapter 23 stretches his arms out on a cross and cries out, Father, forgive them. And not only that, Stephen understood that that prayer was also meant for him. That his sins were the reason that he was on the cross. In Luke chapter 23, we read of Jesus on the cross and in the midst of pain, in the midst of that agonizing torment, he cries out, Father, forgive them. He doesn't wait until he is off the cross. He doesn't wait until they stop doing what they're doing. They're still spitting at him. They're still mocking him. He doesn't wait for an apology. He doesn't even wait for another day. In the midst of the pain and agony, Jesus cries out, Father, forgive them. And this is who Stephen was focused on when he prays his prayer of forgiveness. When I choose to hold on to the hurt that has been inflicted on me, I make a claim that my hurt is greater than the hurt that Jesus experienced. When I choose to hold on to hurt and not forgive, I claim what actually belongs to God. I have no right to claim that payment. It's not mine, it's God's. 
And if I refocus my heart, and if I refocus on Jesus, I take those first steps. I just take those first steps towards that heart of resubordination. Because we need to get to that point. We need to get to that point where we have a heart of resubordination, understanding that the debt that is owed to us is less than the debt that is owed to God. That his right to payment is greater than our right. And we get there when we refocus our hearts and stop listening to our own voice or the voices around us. And we listen to the voice of Jesus. The one who cried out, Father, forgive them. And when we do that, when we do that, our eyes will be opened to how God restores. To how God restores. You see, this story is not just a story about forgiveness. This story is actually a story of restoration. And if you're kind of just read it and you're listening to it for the first time, you might be looking at me and be like, not, not getting that. Not really understanding that. I don't see the restoration. In fact, because it ends with a pretty sad ending. I mean, Stephen dies and then like the church is persecuted. Where do you see restoration in this story? I see restoration in this story in the mention of Saul. You see, this Saul, the one who stood there approving of Stephen stoning, this Saul, the one who would go and persecute the church, this Saul would one day encounter Jesus and his life would be forever changed and Saul would become Paul and his letters would become books of the New Testament of our Bible. In fact, some would argue that Paul is probably the biggest influence of the church outside of Jesus. And you would be looking at him like, yeah, but that's later. That's not in this story. That's, that happens later, yes. But the person who wrote the book of Acts was named Luke. Luke was a friend of Paul. Luke knew Paul. Luke traveled with Paul. He knew the good that Paul did. He knew all of the things that Paul was doing for God's kingdom. And yet he chooses to write this moment of shame. He chooses to write this low point of Paul's life. He chooses to include it. And he chooses to include it so that when he writes of Paul's conversion, the power of that change will be felt even more so. You see, God desires to restore hearts. And Stephen prays a prayer and he says, Father, do not hold this sin against them. And God answers. Stephen prays a prayer, Father, forgive them. And God answers. Paul's life is the greatest proof of God's answer. Paul's life is the greatest proof of how God answered Stephen's prayer. And his prayer actually sets up the heartbeat of the church to recognize when God restores Paul. He enters the scene as Saul the persecutor. He leaves the scene as Paul, child of God. When we forgive, when we have hearts of resubordination, understanding that it is God's authority, we begin to see the beauty of how he restores hearts. And so we get to the point where we need to understand that we need to have a heart of resubordination, understanding that God's right to payment is greater than our right to payment. The wrong that has happened to God is far greater than the wrong that's happened to us. 
The debt that is owed to him is greater than the debt that is owed to us. We need to get to that point. We take our first steps towards that point when we refocus our hearts and stare straight at Jesus. And when we do that, we begin to see the way that God shows up and the way that God restores hearts. But that is incredibly difficult to do. That is incredibly difficult to do. In fact, I would say that it's actually impossible to do. It's impossible for me to actually pray that kind of prayer on my own. It's impossible for me to have that kind of heart based on my own strength. See, the reality is, is that I know that some of you in this room have been hurt tremendously. I know because I've talked to you. And for me to just say, just pray that prayer and not acknowledge the real pain that some of you have gone through, the real hurt that some of you have gone through, it's not okay. That pain is intense and it is huge. And at times it is so much stronger than you or I. And so I want to give you the fourth word when it comes to this prayer. The fourth word when it comes to this prayer is this. Rely. Rely. I cannot pray this prayer on my own. The only way I can pray this prayer is through the work of the Holy Spirit in me. I am too small compared to this huge pain in front of me, but God is not. God is greater than anything we face. We need to rely on God. We need to rely on the Holy Spirit. But the problem is, is that far too often, I want to hold on to it. I want to hold on to this pain. And I don't want to give it up. I don't want to hand it off to God. I want to hold on to it. Because I've gotten kind of used to it, so I want to hold on to it. It's a little scary to hand it off, but I, wanna, I just want to keep it here. Last week was the Super Bowl. And there was one point in the game that I was watching, I was like, this is kind of interesting. There was one point late in the game where the Chiefs had a fourth down. Ball is hiked. Patrick Mahomes gets the ball and he starts to run to his right. And the defense collapses on him. They're about to just knock him down. Pain's about to happen. And then he turns. And running step for step with him is Damian Williams, his, his running back. And he just flips the ball over. And Damian Williams runs first down. If Patrick Mahomes had hold, held on to that ball, he was getting hit. He was going to get hit. And as he's running, there's Damian Williams, and I'm sure what Damian Williams is saying in the set is, just give me the ball. Give me the ball. Pass me the ball. If Mahomes didn't do that, he would have been hit. There would have been no first down, and that game would have looked different. The reality is far too often I hold on to that pain and I don't pass it off. And there's God and he's just like, just give me the ball. 
Just pass the ball. Just give me the ball. They're not going to stop me. Give me the ball. Some of us need to hand off the ball today. Some of us need to stop holding on to what we've been holding on for far too long. In a moment, we're going to sing another song. And I understand what we're talking about today is actually pretty intense. I understand that, and I don't want to minimize it. And so, like, you hear all this stuff, and you understand, like, okay, we need to get to a point where we need to have a heart of resubordination, understanding that the authority forgiveness is God's, and that the debt owed to him is greater than the debt owed to us. Yeah, we need to get to that point. We take our first steps by refocusing and looking at Jesus. And when we do that, we see how God will show up and restore hearts and the beauty of his restoration. We can't do that on our own. We need to rely on God and the work of the Holy Spirit in us. We need to hand off that ball. So what do we do with that? What do I want you to do with that? Like, What's the application for this message? Well, it's pretty much the same application that I've wanted for this entire series. I want you to pray. I just want you to pray. I just want you to talk to God. And the reality is that ultimately my desire is that we get to the point where we actually can pray, Father, forgive them. Do not hold these sins against them. I want to get to that point, but I also understand that the work of the Holy Spirit in us sometimes takes time and you might not be at that point. So then I ask that all you say is, God, help me. God, help me. Well, just tell them, Man, this hurts. It's okay to tell God, God, this hurts. It's okay to be honest with God and tell him that there is pain going on. Some of you might be there, I'm like, I don't really have anything right now that I'm dealing with. Like, there's, like this doesn't, then pray for the person around you and for what they might be going through. We are one church. We are one community. We're one body, a family. So pray for those around you. You see, as we sing this song, I just want you to talk to God. I just want you to pray. Maybe you're at the point where you need to just let go and hand the ball off and say, Father, forgive them. Maybe you can't get there yet. Maybe you just need to be like, God, help me. Or God, this hurts. Or maybe you need to be praying for those people around you. We need to spend some time talking with God. You see, the reality is this. That when Jesus stretched out his arms on that cross, it was my sin that put him there. You see, the reality is this. When Jesus stretched out his arms and said, Father, forgive them, I needed to be forgiven. The filth that covered him, that was my filth. It was my sin that nailed him to a cross. But also, it was me 
whom he thought of with love when he said, Father, forgive them. And if he can love me like that, if he can love me like that in the midst of a pain that none of us could ever experience, maybe, maybe, I can love that way too. I ask that we just talk to God today. Whoever it is that rises to your mind right now, and you're like, I don't want to think about that person. Whatever it is that was done, just talk with him. Maybe today is the day that you hand off the one thing that you weren't meant to carry. Let's pray. God, thank you for your forgiveness. Because I sure don't deserve it. I don't deserve the love that you've shown to me. And yet you hold on to me so tightly. Lord, you love each person in this room with a strong, relentless love. And so I ask you to make that love so real today. And that you would give strength where strength is needed to pray this dangerous risky prayer. Father, forgive them. Let our hearts be overwhelmed with the good news of Jesus, the beauty of the cross, your forgiveness, and let it transform us. I ask you to quiet the voices of distraction right now and that you would just Speak so clearly to whomever needs to be talked to today. Bring healing, Lord. We pray this in Jesus' name.